Well, welcome back to the Pastors Podcast. Pastor Scott here. And today I have the incredible privilege of getting to sit down with Stephen and Alina, Pastor Stephen and Alina Sato. Um, thanks so much for being here, guys. Sorry, Joy. Um, for those of you who were here just a couple of weeks ago, you probably heard Stephen and Alina um, sharing in our Sunday service about just a testimony of some of the work that the Lord's been doing, the incredible, miraculous work the Lord's been doing over the course of the last year in their lives, in, in their family, and as a result in their hearts. Um, one of the, actually one of my favorite things about this format and about this podcast is the opportunity to have longer conversations that we just can't do on a Sunday morning, right? The whole, I mean, even in starting it off, the whole goal was there's some testimonies that you just can't capture in five minutes or even 10. And so I'm super thankful for the two of you taking an opportunity to um, share a bit of what, how the Lord has been working in a, um, have more extended way. Um, but maybe before we jump into that, it's probably helpful for the few people who might be listening that may not know the facts of the story, may not know you personally, or maybe know of you in the church, or maybe weren't even there the Sunday that you shared in service. Um, I, I know the way I typed it when I gave it to you was what's the five minute version of what's taken place over the last <laughs> year of your lives. I'm not sure that there is a five minute version, but um, yeah, would you just maybe give us a little bit of background um, over the last year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were just kind of your average family mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, going along with our, our two kids. They're eight and 10, our daughters. And, uh, and uh, January, you know, the new year came around and I had some doctor's appointments um, because I had, uh, upon self-exam, um, discovered a lump in my right breast and uh, went to get it checked out, was reassured, and I thought it would be nothing. And uh, then I got the phone call that told me the biopsy results were, in fact, positive for breast cancer. And so that, of course, set off a whole chain of events with um, treatment and diagnoses of, you know, exactly the extent of it. Um, and so it started with consulting with a surgeon um, to get surgery, just to uh, a lumpectomy to get it, uh, the tumor removed. Uh, from there, we, I, I ended up uh, with a slight complication um, after surgery. There was just some excess bleeding um, in the surgical area that uh, delayed the healing of that. Um, and so it delayed then the initiation of uh, what would have what would eventually be four weeks of radiation. Um, but eventually by mid-April, I was able to start four weeks of, uh, of radiation. I did not end up needing chemotherapy. Um, so after radiation was done, um, then by June, I transitioned into long-term hormone therapy, and that's just ongoing. It's to decrease the hormones that feed my particular type of tumor. So by then, I was declared to be in remission and um, just started that long-term therapy. And then we went into the summer thinking we would sort of settle back into kind of more normal family rhythms for summer, and then July came along. So just maybe that ongoing, though, Hormone therapy, that was its own transition, I, I imagine, still even through the summer. Uh, it's a yeah, longer-term kind of re-navigation, I would imagine. Yeah, it is um, a, basically a daily pill and then a monthly shot. And this goes f actually really indefinitely. They say five years, but uh, really they say at the five-year mark, we revisit it and see if we should just continue hmm. depending on how my body's doing, what the data says. Um, so it's a, it's an ongoing it's a therapy. Thing, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. And so then July hit. Yep. Well, first thing I want to say is thank you for allowing us to share our story about our suffering. Mm. There's something very universal about suffering in the church and something very personal. So mm. we're thankful to share our story. Mm. Now for me, 
It's probably been close to 20 years that I have issues with speaking my voice. More recently, last couple years, issues with swallowing. So in late July, I had a procedure to deal with the swallowing. And it was a simple procedure. Excuse me. After the procedure, I started to experience pain, uh, both in my throat to my neck. I contacted the doctor, said I'm having these pain issues. And the response that I got from him and from other doctors was that pain is kind of a natural process in the healing process. <clears throat> About five days, five days later, went back because the pain was excruciating in my neck. They uh, gave me some medications. It was probably on the 10th day that the pain was unbearable. So I went directly from work to the hospital and they admitted me. When I went in, I had uh, trouble walking. had extreme pain throughout my body. Feelings of electrical shock. And I started to lose body function. I remember that day, a good friend who's a doctor texted me, asked me how I'm doing. And I think later on that night, I texted saying, I'm losing body function. So for a day and a half, I was in the hospital. The doctors ran test after test. They couldn't figure out what was going on. The pain increased, and I started to lose more and more ability. And so I think it was about midnight or late that night. Um, my friend saw my text, looked at my medical records, saw that something wasn't right. So he contacted the doctors, had him run another test. And so they saw that I had an abscess in the back of my neck that was pressing against my spinal cord. So three o'clock in the morning, they rushed me to another hospital, did a procedure called a laminectomy, where they had opened up my spinal cord to depressurize uh, or my, my, my uh, to open up vertebrae to decompress my spinal cord. And so they had put, they had to clean it out, put uh, metal screws in, and a bracket to stabilize uh, my head. And from that point on, I was severely disabled in all my motor functions. Um, the doctor said that if that procedure didn't happen as it did, there would be a good chance that I would not have survived if it didn't happen that quickly. So for the next Four weeks, I was in a rehab hospital where I had to relearn how to do things like walk and other basic functions. And that therapy has continued uh, at home. Mm-hmm. This is so terrifying. I can't, I can't even imagine and kind of one thing after another. Um, Maybe to go back to, uh, I know I we've talked about this a lot, and I have a number of questions I, w- I want to just draw out, but maybe to go all the way back to your original um, cancer diagnosis, Alina, I, I think it's moments like that that really um, disrupt our sense of security, right? This This, I don't know... I think most of us kind of walk through most days with a more general sense of invincibility, right? That because we don't get news like that every day, but inevitably we all experience moments like that and will experience moments like that. How, how did the 
two of you respond to that initial just interruption into life of this this diagnosis, this cancer diagnosis? Um, well, for me, when I got the phone call, it was a Friday morning, uh, just before 10 o'clock. And I was home alone because the kids were at school and mm-hmm. Steve was at work. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm an ICU nurse. And so I thought I had an idea of how fragile we all are. Mm. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, when you get a call like that, you, you really do realize that you still assume, like when you're still the healthy one, even as much as you can see in other people, that you still kind of assume that, like, you'll stay healthy. Mm. And you, you still really never see it coming. And so when, when they called me with the results, I remember, like, putting my hand on a chair to stabilize myself because everything felt like it started to spin a bit. And, uh, and as the nurse was talking about the results and kind of giving me space to take it in, all I could say was, okay, okay. And and she gave me a minute and then finally started to move on to logistics of, okay, your next step is to consult with a surgeon. These are your open appointment dates. And I just kind of snapped out of my uh, stupor for a moment to realize that I had some, like everything was about to change. And I had all these logistics between now appointments and trying to figure out what to tell my boss at work and you know, when to tell the kids. Um, So there was just a lot of initial, oh my gosh, how am I going to, like, what does this even mean for my next week, month, months? Um, Yeah. And then I think uh, (laughs) there was, the timing was also very curious because there was a a text strand that I had with a group of friends where um, another friend was also awaiting biopsy results. And so we had all been praying for each other. And um, that friend had just gotten her biopsy results um, just before mine. And hers had come out benign. And so, um, so she had texted everyone saying, you know, just got my results. Praise God. You know, they were benign. Um, Alina, just hoping that you will also get good news. And it was, um, I think that kind of set the foundation of, you know, I replied, well, (laughs) my news were, my results were not benign, but still we praise God through Mm. the good and the bad. And, Mm. And I think it was just one of those moments where you see um really life can go any which way yeah. right and okay we have i've got a choice to make <laughs> in how i'm going to respond to this and um and so yeah later that day when we told the kids you know first we had to clarify with them do you understand what cancer is and that there are different forms of cancer some are more aggressive than others um we are hopeful that the kind mommy has is um treatable. Um, but mommy's going to have some procedures and treatments to go through and they're going to be hard on my body. Um, and we just told them there's going to be good days and hard days, but we're just going to trust God in all of those days. Um, and so I think to try to whittle it down to like a children's level, mm-hmm to be honest with them about realities coming, but also, okay, like as a family, we need to stay grounded in our hope and our faith. Yeah. Um, that was actually really helpful for us, I mm. think, to to do that with the kids mm. day one. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a simplicity in that. I mean, and, and for those listening, and I know she doesn't mind me sharing, I appreciate your discretion, but the, the friend... That you have been that had the benign tumor was Lara, my wife, and so as we've all walked this together, um, it it has been just so striking and such a a uh, that was the, the timing of all that was such an overwhelming reminder of the fragileness of life of the reality that life goes in a number of different directions a number of different ways and how it all pans out and, and it's been a, um, 
yeah, it's it, it's it's just incredible how that, um, how both that news and your experience just reverberates in what the Lord's doing in both your lives and in all the lives of those that God has inter interconnected your lives with. Um, what what about for you, Stephen? I mean, that was what was that initial news like for you? Yeah, initially it was very surreal to to hear the news. I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, luckily, Alina has medical background. I don't. So it was good that I didn't speak into any of that. So for me, you know, I've been in pastoral ministry in the past, seeing people have suffered and gone through trials. And I think it was important for them to have people in life that are stable, mm. that could just be there just to support, mm. to stay healthy enough to be a support. Mm. And so I kind of took that approach of whatever Alina needs, and I'll be there mm. to take care of the kids. Uh, for us, it was kind of a blessing that, yeah, our kids were naive to what was going on. Mm. They couldn't comprehend it. Yeah. But also talking to people that I know in the field, it was reassuring to know that breast cancer is probably the, one of the most researched diseases out there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of resources, a lot of resources for this condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. How, how did this... <laughs> I want to ask how you saw the Lord working in the midst of that just season of of your treatment and your family and both of your hearts. Um, I feel like that's a little bit like when people ask me, "How was your sabbatical?" <laughs> like there's not not really a simple answer to like how was God working. But maybe is can you describe one way you saw God working in that uh, over last spring during that season of your treatment and your and the two of you navigating this season together. Yeah. I mean, if, if we can share more than one way too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I think, you know, on, on a surface and still very significant level, there were uh, just, there was just a lot of mercy. And, uh, and again, when I say surface, I don't take it lightly, um, the mercy given in, in that, you know, um, as much as it's very true uh, that breast cancer uh, feels incredibly treatable, it is incredibly treatable. Um, I was still utterly terrified, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, in the first couple weeks uh, leading up to my initial consultation with the surgeon, because um, just the nature of cancer, like it, it just, you know that your cells are out of control and you don't mm -hmm. know, um, you know, it's not a broken limb that you can just, you mm -hmm. know, fix or a bad cut that you suture. I, it, like there's a nebulousness to it, I mm. think. And um, and so I think initially when I didn't know how bad it was and I started to picture a lot of uh, my patients who have experienced really terrible forms of cancer or um, terrible side effects from treatment. And, um, you know, I, I think those nights were very dark and just mm. not being sure. Um, and so the waiting uh, in that initial time was just really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's Steve's um, alarm to take his medications <laughs> because we've had him on a schedule. Um, anyhow, um, so just that waiting is really, really difficult because you just want a plan. You want answers and you want a plan. And um, and so God's mercy in uh, giving me a surgeon that I wasn't actually supposed to get. Um, just scheduling snafus with Kaiser, but I ended up with this surgeon. Um, so we we consulted with him one week after I got the diagnosis, and uh, I thought for sure we would have a, a two-week standard wait to then have surgery, which felt 
like an eternity um, because most surgeons just are already booked up. But the surgeon we got was the chief surgeon at Kaiser, and that means that he just had a much more wide open surgery schedule. Mm. And so he was he had an opening on Monday, so we only had to wait a weekend, um, which was just such a relief compared to two weeks. And I, in that, I just felt like the Lord was saying, I see you and I see mm. your fears and my kindness is with you. And I, I knew it could still go any which way, but just that alleviation to that particular fear and agony of waiting was just such a assurance, I think, of, okay, <laughs> the Lord is with me. And, you know, uh, obviously through all of this, I've had a a good prognosis, and um, that in and of itself is an incredible gift. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't presume upon it, mm-hmm. and uh, I I think that um, one I was very hesitant to say, "Oh, I'm so thankful," just because it could be worse, because mm-hmm. that feels really unfair to people who do actually have it worse. Like that's mm-hmm. not a kind. Or even write a, yeah. a perspective, I think, yeah. to have. I think it it was more just... It's telling we don't ever find that in scripture. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? That's very true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, having the kindnesses and the mercies given to us were a gift. Mm. Um, and at the same time, there whatever... Form this all would have taken. I, I, there would have been enough grace to match mm. the level of suffering that would have befallen. Mm. And what we can thank God for is the mercy given to us in in my particular scenario. And I think at the end of it all, it just brought me back to this question that um, I had heard from one of the chaplains um, at the hospital where I work, where she just asked, you know, is it only the people who get the healing, who get the testimony. Mm. Um, because I didn't want that to be my only testimony. That mm. that can't be, right? Like, yeah. just because I, I've been given this incredible gift of more health and time mm. with my family um, is amazing. But that's not actually my salvation. And extra days given to me are still days you know, that have their own troubles and struggles with sin. And and then we all end up facing death one day. But but our ultimate salvation is that the Lord is with us, mm. that we have rescue from our sin, that we have hope when we all do reach the end. And everything else given to us is an absolute gift, but our salvation is far beyond just a good mm. prognosis. And that was a lot of uh, digging deep that I think we had to work through mm. and, you know, all the uncertainty of it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so powerful and so helpful. Anyways. What about for you, Stephen? How did, were there ways you saw the Lord working in that? Well, I think for both of us, we are blessed to have a foundation of knowing God's character, that he's good, mm. that he's faithful, that he's sovereign. And so I think for us, as we saw things happening, doors opening, doors closing, there was a sense of trusting God mm. and his goodness. Um, I think for us, a big part of it too was having the church family with us, mm. the pastors, our friends, people texting us, calling us, supporting us, walking with us, mm. and really being faith for us in many ways. And I think that was just a big part of it because there are parts of it that can be very lonely, mm. but we knew that there were so many people walking with us. And that through it all, God would do his was good for us. Mm. And so for me, that was kind of the big picture as we dealt with each little thing, moment by moment, day by day. Mm. 
Mm. And one of the things that's so striking, I think, about the last year was that, unbeknownst to you at that point, like the the trials were just getting started. <laughs> um, which also I think is a is a helpful both thing to acknowledge and thing to recognize that sometimes that's I think there are seasons in all of our lives where that is true. Um, given the fallenness of our bodies, given the inevitability of death. Um, so in coming out of that, Stephen, when, when you started experiencing pain or, and maybe more acutely in the days that you started losing functioning and reflecting on that, and even, even after the surgery, because even after the surgery, uh, nothing came back quickly at all. And so, um, how, how did the two of you respond in that, in one sense where like now the tables are turned and it's the other one of you who, who had determined to be strong for your wife, who, uh, lost that physical strength. Um, how, how did, how did each of you process or, uh, respond as that unfolded? Um, well, initially everything was a shock because mm. I remember when I went to the emergency room, I stumbled in and, um, when I was waiting in the emergency room, I reached down for something and instead of just getting back up, my body launched me into a long jump, landed straight on my shoulder was sprawled on the floor for about 10 minutes because doors were closed. So I remember just the shock mm. of all of it and mm. just the confusion as the hours passed and days passed. Some of the questions that I processed was, God, why did you navigate such a specific thing to think in this way mm. questions like why did you let me live and not die mm. I remember at one point you know I spent a day and a half in the hospital doctors didn't know what was going on kind of late that night I was in a a daze pain throughout my body confused and I remember saying to God if you want to take me, take me home, I'm ready to go. Mm. And then, but all these questions started coming through and that I was trying to filter, even stupid questions like, what do I do my fishing tackle if I can't go fishing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just all these things. Oh, but I had a safe place in God to, to ask these questions. Mm. And so... Now, as I was going through this, one thing I wanted was comfort from God's word. Mm. But initially, I couldn't move my hands to navigate a cell phone. I think at one point I tried to pick it up, it dropped on my face. Mm. Later on, you know, I tried to look at my cell phone, I couldn't see with one eye, so I can do that. Days later, you know, I think this is like days later in a facility, I tried to read God's word, but I was so medicated. Every time I opened my Bible, I was, I'd fall asleep. Mm. But I wanted God's, to hear something from God's word. And so what I did was, from early on, even at the part of going into the rehab facility, I started to think about scripture like, you know, Psalm 1-1. David says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, mm -hmm. nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the sea, sea discovers. Mm -hmm. But he delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates on it 
damn night. So when I was in the hospital, I started to reflect on God's word. All the scripture stories that I remembered. All the scripture verses that I could think of. Hymns that I knew. I started to sing those in my mind, in my heart. And in doing that, they all brought me back to the gospel. Mm. In doing that, they all helped me to see that my greatest hope wasn't in health, wasn't in, you know, anything else. My greatest hope was in being and knowing Jesus Christ. Mm. Even later on, I started listening to, I started, you know, I think about all the complaining that I had towards God, all the doubts and mixed up feelings that I had about God. And later on, when I was finally able to read without falling asleep, the book that I decided to read was a book about suffering, mm. the book of Job. And it's interesting because Job, in his book, he complains. He complains from the beginning to the end. He complains about his friends. His friends complain about him. Mm. But what's significant about Job's story is that through it all, he never disconnected from God. Mm. God was there. He came to God, and God was there for me, mm. always there for me. Mm. Incredible picture of the, incredible picture of the reality of that. I, it's, it's such a beautiful description, Stephen. You er, early, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, you used the the phrase. You were talking about your questions, and you said, you know, but I, I had a safe place in God to ask those questions. And I, uh, the, the question that hit my head, I was, I was like, oh, I want you to, I want you to explain what, what that is. Like, what do you mean by that? And then you just did, <laughs> right? You just, I mean, you just explained this, this reality of who God is. And that means that he's a, because of all of that, because of the beauty of the gospel, he's a safe place even for those questions that he doesn't, he's not challenged by our questions and our doubtings or even our complainings and laments to him. He's not um, undercut by our misunderstanding or our confusion. Yeah. Um, But he's a safe place to bring those to. Yeah. Because he's so good. Um, And what a rich experience. What a rich description. Um, Alina, I know those few weeks in particular were just a terrifying for you in a, in a totally different way than the cancer diagnosis was terrifying. How, yeah. How, how did you respond and what did that, um, what was that experience like? I I think, um, when we were still trying to figure out what was going on, uh, it, did at first just seem like uncontrolled pain. Um, but when he started having these other neurological symptoms and, you know, the initial MRIs weren't showing a whole lot of answers, um, it just, it, we just had no idea, like, mm. what what was going on or what it meant. Um, I, I mean, I think, uh, so So in that, I mean, we just had no idea how bad it actually was, you know, that there was this abscess growing in his spinal column. Um, I think that there was an incredible awe of this physician friend who advocated for us at literally the exact moment in time that we needed an advocate. Mm. Um, We just, from the beginning, it was just kind of, okay, that saved our lives. And I think maybe similarly to um, my initial, like the show of kindness from the Lord in giving me just a, a 
earlier surgical date that even though we didn't know still where things were all going to go, um, moving forward with treatments and recovery that like with me and then with Steve, there was just a, a initial like the Lord just saying, I am with you. Mm. I I see what's going on. I am I'm with you. My kindness, my mercy is with you. Um, that said, I think that we, I was really just more overwhelmed with logistics. I just got thrown into managing life. Oh. And, um, uh, I mean, I think that a lot of the emotional impact honestly didn't really hit until later when oh. the adrenaline kind of settled down. Um, because I just had to keep on top of everything, running back and forth between home and the hospital and the kids. And in that, then there was just the community of Christ that held me up in particular because I was so overwhelmed and underwater with things and um, the way that people were truly the hands and feet of Christ were the comfort and the ministry mm-hmm. that held me up. And um, and then I think actually seeing the Lord hold up Steve's heart because he was the one, I was suffering in my own way with the overwhelmingness of everything I had to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the questions of what was going to happen with Steve, but, but with Steve being the one actually experiencing the suffering in his body and the unknowingness of what was going to happen to his life, um, <clears throat> seeing the Lord hold him up, and minister to him such foundational peace and grace, even in the midst of the questions and the uncertainty. But that ministered to me. Mm. <laughs> like mm. God's ministry to Steve ministered to me. And um, I wouldn't have blamed Steve if he had emotional outbursts or, yeah. you know, all, but he he kept turning to the Lord and his heart kept finding that refuge in the Lord. And, and when I would see him, I could see him secure there Mm. and it helped me settle and just, okay. (laughs) Like we are held regardless. Mm. Um, yeah. What a powerful what a powerful testimony of how the Lord by his grace and he doesn't always tell the story this way but he did and it was a gift here but how how he allowed you to minister to and lead your family when seemingly powerless. <laughs> right? Like I mean it's just uh unreal how he weaves together um, those dynamics of our care and ministering to us and how he allows us to be a part of that. Um, and sometimes even at our absolute, I mean, literally absolute weakest points. Um, and so much glory for him. Um, what, as you have reflected and it's been, I mean, it's been a, I guess a couple of months now. Um, what are some of the maybe ongoing struggles in your hearts or ongoing things the Lord's doing? Um, I, because I think that sometimes the acute crisis moments, I, to, to your comment earlier, they're the testimony, they get the, the, the story of the testimony, but the, um, the, the return to work, the uh, getting the kids off to school in the midst of a kind of strange new routine, um, the when the acute even presence of people around you f- fades, and you know appropriately so because it's not a crisis moment anymore. But how how do yeah uh, how how has the Lord been working in your hearts and what's He been teaching you? in this kind of season B 
beyond the crisis, but still very impacted um, physically, mentally, and emotionally by um, what's happened. Yeah, for me, um, it's definitely been a test of patience Mm. because the broadcast has been very slow. I remember trying to work out as hard as I could, hoping to speed up the healing process, but it may take up to a year yeah. for me to to fully heal, whatever fully means. Right now, I have no feeling in my feet, much of my body, very weak, still issues with balance. So I don't know how much of this will come back mm. in a matter of weeks or a year, if at all. Mm. So for me, for me, it's just really trusting God and knowing where to go, what this means for me and my abilities. I'm scheduled to go back to work next week, and I don't know what that will look like. Before this, I had a bad voice. Now my voice is all but gone. So how I readjust to work um, is something I don't know, but I do trust that God is good and whatever happens will happen. Mm. There's nothing new in life. People have dealt with this before and God will see me through it. Third issue that I think has been on my heart and mind a lot is understanding the nature of calling, specifically to calling a ministry. First time when I was called to full-time ministry, about a year and a half after being in ministry, I lost my voice completely Hmm. and had to go through, you know, surgeries and other things to get my voice back partially. But it was a struggle. And yet, you know, God kept me through that, kept me called through that. I see the fruits of that ministry. You know, about 13 years, pastoral ministry. And this new calling to be installed as a pastor, um, it was just weeks later that this happened to me. Mm. And I remember someone from church uh, coming up to me just just marvel at the irony of all this happening after being installed. Mm. So as God has called me back to serve in a pastoral role in this church, um, I don't doubt that calling. Mm. I'm kind of in a phase of discovering what that looks like now mm. and will look like. So much of what I've depended on in months and years past is using service, acts of service, using my body, my skills, physical ability to serve other people, to play basketball, to build things. So for now, with where I'm at now, question arises, where do I go? Mm. Well, I would affirm that I don't doubt that calling either. I mean, obviously, we've talked about that a lot. (laughs) And it is so clear what the Lord's doing. Um, And at the same time, I think that like a lot of callings in our lives, we, we sometimes continue to step in, not knowing exactly what he intends for that, how he wants to use it. And, um, and often it's very different <laughs> than the way we, we picture it, but I appreciate that. Um, yeah. What about, what about for you, Lena? Um, <clears throat> I, I think I'm still uh, unpacking now because it, um, 
Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I think that um, there, there's been uh, so much evidence of God's hand and God's presence and God's goodness and mercy and reassurance through uh, everything. Um, and there's also uh, a lot of... I think the the grief over things that we've lost, you know, of how we used to be as a family or, um, I don't know, even just kind of how we saw, you know, the next few years of our lives, um, that uh, I think I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. And, uh, and yeah, like, I was saying, you know, there was a lot of, there was just, uh, there was just so much to manage uh, up until this point of the dust settling a bit and us trying to move into this next stage of Steve going back to work and figuring out new rhythms. But um, I don't know. I I just, there's something about like the unpacking of um the whole experience that I'm still kind of working through. And I, the picture in my mind is sort of like being sucked up into a tornado. Mm. In this case, two tornadoes in one year. <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of being like gently spit out um, from the second one and finding like so much gratitude that we're standing on our feet, like mm. literally that Steve mm. is can literally stand yeah. and walk forward. Um and there's like tremendous gratitude that like we can do that. And also sort of this disorientation of um, mm. what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think there, there is a new strange vulnerability, like moving forward of like not, just not knowing, you know, how, where, where exactly Steve's healing will kind of plateau out. Or there's always a question in my mind too of, will the cancer come back? I'm not sure, you know, like, um, but in all of that, I think there is, um, I'm finding more grace and freedom to, to not do what I think we're tempted to do of just, oh, um, I'm in remission and Steve is going back to work. And so everything's great mm. now. Like, I think there's a freedom to say, um, uh, we still, I still have questions and I still have laments um, that I'm still learning how to give voice to. Um, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that God hasn't been faithful. And mm. it doesn't mean that we're not grateful. Uh, and he will walk us through, mm. you know, the yeah. next steps too. And that's okay. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's good. And I, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate the honesty with which you're sharing that because I think a lot of us resonate with that too. I think sometimes you come through things and it's like, oh my goodness, look at what the Lord did. And let me tell you this story. This is an incredible story of what God did. Sometimes we come through things and, and we're, we're left with more disorientation than clarity with, with, with questions that linger uh, far past when maybe the, 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 st the telling of the story would end. <laughs> And, and sometimes I think both the stories and the, um, confusion, uh, can be present in the same people as, as well. Right. Like it, I think these are dynamics of our, our complex hearts. And so I appreciate your honesty in that. Cause I think it, it also reminds us of God's faithfulness that is not just in crisis, but is also sometimes in quiet disorientation where he meets us, not because he takes away all the questions. Right. But, but because as you said, Stephen, he's, he's a safe place for those questions. Um, well, as, as we, as we talked about maybe a little bit at the beginning, I appreciate this testimony and your testimony and your sharing it with us because it, 
dynamics like this are an inevitability for all of us. Life is fragile. Um, Health is not guaranteed. And we all have seasons of this. And so the the last question I wanted to ask you, and just because I think it might be an encouragement both for others and for me personally, like we're good friends. We've walked through the last year together. It has been a doozy of a year. Um, and if things like this, or if a, uh, if a year as challenging as this was ahead for me and my family, we would walk through it together. And so I, I'm curious sitting where you are now at the end of this year, if you knew that my 2024 was going to be as challenging as your 2023 has been, um, what would you want to make sure I knew going in or just remembered going in? Well, I might think of um, Ecclesiastes 1.9 that says, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm. Everything's been hashed out from there. So, you know that there are other people that have experienced the same thing. God knows what we're going through. Mm. Second thing I think is important to remember and renew the vows that you made if you're married. You know, we say the words, you know, uh, in sickness or an elf. You know, that's a vow that you make to your spouse. And it's one that you rely on, especially during such times of trial. Mm. For me, I am saying I'm doing as well as I am because Helena has been by my side. Mm. She has committed to stay with me, work with me during these challenging times. And for me, with her, that's something that I committed to do. Mm. So it's important to keep that. And I've seen that in the testimony of other people, mm. just how important that vow is. Mm-hmm. For all of us, I think it's important to understand uh, the church much in the same way. Much of scripture is written to people, to the church. There's a lot of talk about the faith of multitudes. Mm. And it's important that to know that as individuals, we need the church. And the church needs us. We need the church to care for us. And we need to care for people in the church. Mm. Whether it's financially, physically, time. But most importantly, through prayer, through encouragement, the church needs people. Mm. The church needs to know that the church is a safe place for people who struggle with illness, whether it's physical illness, mental illness. There's a place for every person in the body of Christ. Mm. Amen. The last point I would make is when I was reading through scripture, when I was listening to sermons, when I was talking to people, I was constantly reminded that perfect health is never promised. Mm. You know, there's all kinds of things we can experience in life, all types of things that we can strive for. But our greatest only hope, our greatest hope is in the person of Jesus Christ knowing Him, pursuing Him, relating to Him. Eventually, all of us will die of age, sickness, or something, Mm -hmm. guaranteed. What will last is who we are, our relationship with Christ. Mm. That's what the Christian life is all about, is knowing, living, loving, worshiping Christ alone. Mm. Amen. Amen. So interesting. I feel like in, in a number of ways, uh, what, sust- what has sustained you over the last year has been, it, the, the church has helped and there's people around you, but ultimately it's 
seeing Christ, seeing him and remembering him in his word, savoring him, walking with him through this. And I feel like what I hear you saying to me is if, if anything like that is ahead, uh, and encourage me to just see and savior, see and savor Christ. Um, because of the, the strength and the buttressing that is, he is for us. Mm. I really appreciate that. Any other thoughts, Selena? Yeah, I, um, I have throughout my life, but especially uh, this past year, have come back to Psalm 73 over and over um, because I think it reflects a lot of what was in my heart and what I think we can all be prone to when we face years like this where um, things just are incredibly difficult and uh, there's a temptation. So Psalm 73, the psalmist is um, looking at um, people who just seem to be without any kind of trouble. And they um, they don't know the Lord. Um, they're wealthy. Everything's great <laughs> for them. And he's looking at them with, with uh, no small amount of envy. Like they scoff at God and um, say, we're, we're good. And he, he kind of talks about how he starts to, he starts to um, lose his footing a bit because he's like, when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And I think when we go through perplexing years of, I don't understand what's happening in my life. I don't understand why it's happening. I'm envying people who um, don't seem to deserve good things in their life. You know, like the way that, uh, car- you know, people, the world thinks about karma. And if you just do good, then you should earn good. And, and, um, and I think when we go through these kinds of years, it's easy to start saying, Lord, I I want to I just want to be the person who's not suffering. That's all I want. <laughs> and then the psalmist comes back and says, like if I if I just look at the circumstances, it's too hard to wrap my mind around all the questions of why what's going on. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then he kind of comes back to um whom whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And there is none on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he, you know, he acknowledges like there was a point my soul got embittered. I was, he says, pricked in heart, brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. And um, I would just say to anyone who might go into a very difficult year and might be tempted to um, look around at circumstances and and say, Lord, I'd rather just be the one who doesn't suffer, to turn your eyes (laughs) um, towards the Lord even still and say, oh, I have to come back to the sanctuary of God and see who who do I have in heaven but you. There's There's no one on earth that I desire besides you. And I think in that we just we lean on what you know that you know about God. There's a lot of mystery that is not for us to know and not for us to try to find reassurance in. But what we know about the Lord, what we know about the person of Christ, um, is sufficient. Is more than sufficient for us to be able to rest our souls in in the hardest of fears. Mm. This ministers to my soul. Thank you. Thank you both for, I mean, thank you both for your faithfulness and for the ways that uh, you've allowed the Lord to meet you in these honest moments and um, demonstrate his faithfulness in such powerful ways to you. And thank you so much for sharing this with, uh, in this format, with uh, our church family, you know, it's a huge, um, a huge blessing. It will be a huge encouragement. Um, I can't thank you both enough. And and also if, if you're listening, I just encourage you to continue to be praying for Stephen and Alina and for their girls for continued healing, 
for continued wrestling, um, that not being, uh, that being outside of the most acute crisis moment, um, you might continue to be praying for them. And, and I think in that as well, thinking about looking around you at the others in your life who maybe have been through a crisis, maybe even recently, but are maybe out of the crisis and could still very much use your prayers, um, your encouragement, um, even once the, the most immediate moments have passed. So thank you both. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time and the sacrifice of that. And thank you all for listening. Thanks for being a part of this incredible church family, this incredible church community where um, stories like this just multiply uh, across to all to God's glory. So thanks for listening. We love you and we'll see you on Sunday. <laughs>